This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for January 15, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The message is by Father Ron Baird. This is the second Sunday after the Epiphany. As we mentioned last week, the word Epiphany it comes from a Greek word which means manifest or making obvious or making apparent in front of us. And so I invited you last week to spend Epiphany looking for God making himself obvious, manifest before you. Look for the signs of God's presence in your midst. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, if it's at hand, then we certainly should be looking for it. And I talked to you a little bit about how we needed to cut out the noise that is around us, and I taught you the Jesus prayer, which is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, while you inhale, have mercy on us as you exhale, or have mercy on me, and um, as a way of sort of centering yourself so that you could listen to God. Now, I don't know how many of you all actually did that this week, um, but I suspect that if you did it, um, some of you may have heard absolutely nothing. Some of you may have forgotten all about it after Sunday. Some of you may have tried it some, and, and then as the week got on, life got busy, and you know, things just kind of get away from you. But there is a whole premise behind this that needs to be explored. First of all is, is the question, does God actually speak to people? Does he really talk to people? Because that's really you know, sort of an odd idea to most of the world. Have you all been following Tim Tebow in the papers? I mean, it's interesting, the battle, the headline in the dispatch Friday was interesting. It said, Tim Tebow's success and faith um, underlines how religion polarizes society. I thought, that doesn't sound like very good news. (laughs) Maybe we should just get rid of it. Um, And I thought it was interesting because if you read the article, the article didn't have anything in that about that. They had a couple of things about some people say. And apparently there are people who are upset thinking that Tim Tebow is saying that God is on his side and he helps him to win and nobody else. Now, honestly, Tim Tebow's never said that, um, nor do I think he would because that would be really dumb. But what he says is that the Lord speaks to him and helps him and gives him strength and shows them things. And if you think about it, it's really not that unusual if it is true that God can speak to people because would God know who is open on the football field? So wouldn't the real trick be if you're talking to God to to sort of clear your mind, especially in the middle of people trying to tackle you, um, so that you could find out where to look? Now, does that mean that God wouldn't tell the people on the other team that? No. I mean, I don't think, you know, you get a monopoly on God that he only roots for one people. But it's created this big sort of stir about whether or not God really gets involved in football games. And, and, you know, there are all sorts of people saying, you know, God has better things to do than to bother himself with a football game. And I thought, he's counted the numbers of hair on our head. I mean, surely a football game would be better than that. (laughs) I I mean... I'm, I'm a little amazed, but there really is a sort of notion that that doesn't work that way. And we kind of live in a society, I think, that's become 
at best somewhat deistic and that most people believe in God. You know, they believe that there is a God, but they sort of believe he's out there somewhere and that he made us and gave us gifts and gave us the principles by which we were supposed to live. And if we just, you know, try to live by those, then everything will be good. But the fact that he would actually bother to get involved in our daily lives is, is a foreign sort of concept to, to a lot of people. That says more about the way the church has been teaching, by the way, than it does about the people. Because apparently we forgot to help people to learn how to listen to God. Jesus says later in the Gospel of John, which we read from today, that my sheep know me. They know my voice and they follow me. So if we want to follow Jesus, then we have to know his voice. We have to recognize him when he speaks. And and that's not always easy. We would like it if it were. I mean, wouldn't it be great if, if God just sort of, you know, put up a neon sign, you know, in our doorway as we walked into the house to say, here's what you need to do. Well, that'd be wonderful. Or wrote it in the sky or something, you know, preferably in plain English. And made it so nobody else saw it or something. I mean, that somehow or other that, that we would know. And, and it's not surprising to me that we're like that. We're sort of like that with everything, aren't we? I mean, when you go to a doctor, why do you go to the doctor? You're sick. What do you want when you go there? Yeah, you want him to give you a pill or a shot or, or something that's going to fix it, right? And how soon do you want it to work? Yeah, it's as soon as possible, right? I mean, and if it doesn't work for a few days, we end up calling the doctor back. So this isn't working. I mean, we really live in a in a society where we want what we want and we want it immediately. You know, I often think about our ancestors and even people today who are farmers. Imagine if you were a farmer. I'm going to plant these seeds and I want the crop immediately. That wouldn't work well, would it? Imagine if people just gave up. I've been out here for a whole week. Nothing has come up. I mean, it must not work. But we tend to think that's the way God ought to work. You know, that God sort of ought to show up when we need him, stay out of our way when we don't, and, and by and large, be an all-around good guy. And, and in exchange, we'll try to basically most of the time be as good as we can, however we might define that. And, and in the end, it'll all work out okay. And, and we've forgotten that it's really about this fundamental relationship of reconciling the world to God. That's why Jesus came into the world. God didn't have to become a human being to give us a set of precepts or principles. He didn't have to get crucified on a cross to do that. You know, he had prophets already that spoke his word. What he wanted to do was to establish a link between us and God again so that we could hear his voice and choose to do his will. Now, that's not always easy. I have to be honest with you. Um, it's not the easiest thing in the world to hear God's voice. We, we would like for it to work the first time. You know, I say this prayer, God's speaking to me. Anybody who tells me that, I need to have a conversation with because I'm skeptical. <laughs> You're really good if you can do that. I haven't met many people. I'm saying it can't happen. It's just not the norm. More often what happens is what happened with, for instance, Samuel in today's Old Testament lesson. 
Samuel is an apprentice of the the judge and the uh, prophet Eli. Now, judges in that time, because they didn't have kings, really sort of ruled over Israel. They were the ones who made the final decisions for the various tribes. And they were considered to be people who were anointed with the Holy Spirit of God and spoke on behalf of God. And Eli was a, a great and powerful prophet and judge. And so um, Samuel is his apprentice and sort of does, you know, all the grunt work. He sweeps out the house and cleans the latrine and, you know, does all that stuff that nobody else wants to do. Now, Eli has a couple of sons, but they're not all that useful. They have gotten used to the sense of power and prestige that comes with being part of Eli's family. You know, people have great respect for Eli and we're always showering him with gifts. And so if you were Eli's son, then you, know, you got to share and all that. And, and they rather liked that life. And so they lived into it to its fullest. But the problem was, was that unlike Eli, they weren't interested in listening to God. And so God has decided that he's not going to pass his spirit onto them when Eli dies. So it's the middle of the night. Everybody's gone to bed. And and Samuel wakes up, and he thought, thought he heard someone calling him. And we always read it in scriptures, and, we, and, and every church I've ever been to, we realize, Samuel, Samuel. I said, you know, because that sounds like God, right? I always thought, I always thought it was like, Samuel. And have you ever woke up from a real sound sleep and thought somebody was calling you? You know, but you're kind of like, what, who, where, what? And so Samuel thinks, well, it must be my master Eli. So he gets up and he goes in and says, wakes Eli up, which must have been a real treat for Eli, and says to him, you called me? And he says, I didn't call you. He says, go back to bed. Samuel goes, wow, what a weird dream. Goes back to bed. Goes back to sleep. All of a sudden, he feels like he's been called again. And he's thinking, no, somebody's calling me. I know they are. So he gets up and he goes back into Eli again. And he says, yes, what did you want? And Eli goes, what are you doing? Go back to bed. Quit bothering me. Now, Samuel must be fairly perplexed at this point, thinking, there's nobody else here. You know, what's going on? And so you have to wonder how long it took him to get back to sleep. He probably laid there listening. Is there somebody there? Somebody there? Um, nothing goes on. He falls asleep again, and, and then he hears it again. So he gets up, jumps up, and goes into Eli and says, I know it's you. You're calling me right. And he said, Eli, by this time, probably has given up on getting a good night's sleep and says, it's not I that's calling you, it is the Lord. Now, how does Eli know that? Yeah, but God was talking to Samuel, not Eli, so but you're halfway there. Because Eli had had it happen to him when the Lord's speaking. Now, why is it that when Samuel got up, the Lord didn't say, over here, not in there? I'm here to talk to you. Because he wasn't there yet. So Samuel said to Eli, I mean, Eli says to Samuel, here's what you need to do. The next time you hear the call, you say, speak or your servant is listening. Now that's significant. That's really important. Because God doesn't talk to people who aren't going to listen. He's not like us, you know, where we nag people and tell them the same thing over and over and over again. You ever got yourself saying, how many times have I told you? Nobody here has ever said that? 
I mean, God doesn't do that. He wants you to be willing to listen and submit. And so once um, Samuel takes a posture of being a servant, because what does a servant do? They do what the master tells them to do, doesn't he? So once he has said already, I will obey because I am your servant, it's only then that God speaks to him. Now that's a real important point if we want to hear the voice of God. You have to decide ahead of time, before you know what it is that God wants, that you are going to obey him. Because he isn't going to waste his time with people who aren't going to listen or do it. He didn't come, you know, to argue with you. He came to guide you. And if you're saying, well, I might be willing to be guided, but first I would like to know exactly what it is you had in mind. Well, who's the master and who's the servant in that one? You know, God doesn't work that way. You know, he knows that he created us. You know, we read in the psalm today that we were knit together in our mother's womb. Even before we were conceived, God already had in his mind the blueprints for who we and what we were going to be and how it was that we were going to fit into his plan. Every one of us is here for a reason. And so what God wants us to do is to make the decision, okay, I'm going to live out my life according to God's plan for me, whatever that may be. And I'm going to trust that it is good. Now, my personal theory is that, that this isn't scripture or anything, but it's my personal theory, that God does that because if he actually told us what his personal plan for us was, we would run. Because it would be terrifying. You know, we would think that's impossible. And, and in fact, it would be, by the way, except that with God, nothing is impossible. And if we depend on him, all sorts of things can happen. And so Samuel says to him, Speak for your servant is listening. And surely enough, true to form, God says to Samuel, Because the sons of Eli have blasphemed against me, I will not continue my spirit in the house of Eli. Rather, I will take it from them and I will give it to you. And Eli's going, oh boy. Now, can you imagine this? You, you work for somebody who owns a company. And you go, you know, I was talking with God. And he said he gave you this wonderful company. And, and quite honestly, you're a great guy, but your sons are, are a waste. I mean, all they do is blow your money. They, you know, when they do come to work, they just cause work for the rest of us with all the trouble. And so I just need to let you know that God told me that he's going to take the company away from your family. He's going to give it to me. Wouldn't that be a little scary <laughs> to tell your boss that? That's the situation that Samuel's facing except that he's really in sort of an indentured servitude. He ain't even just quit. He has no options. And so you can imagine in the morning when he wakes up, he's sort of hoping that Samuel will have just thought it was all a bad dream and never mention it again. And the first thing that Eli, I mean, Eli will never mention it again. So the first thing that Eli says to him is, so what did the Lord want? And it says that Samuel was concerned about telling him. He says, just say it. And so Samuel says what he said. And Eli, because he knows the Lord, says, let it be as the Lord has said, as it will work for good for him. Now, 
how does he say that if it isn't from this relationship that he has with God already? He clearly already kind of knew what was going on, didn't he? I mean, he probably wasn't blind with his kids. I mean, he probably had some idea that they weren't really into this prophet thing. And he probably knew that it was probably going to come someday. But even beyond that, he knew how the Lord works and what the Lord seeks. We could learn a lot from the way God operates, by the way. Because all too often we do the opposite, don't we? Anybody here have a husband who keeps doing the same dumb thing over and over again? I know my wife does. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I've done marriage counseling and somebody comes, well, he does this all the time. And, you know, he's doing this. And no matter what I say to him, you know, he won't stop doing it. It's just driving me crazy. And I don't know why he doesn't care how I feel about it. And I need for you to explain it to him so he'll understand it. And, and so, uh, you know, go on. You know, he's got a problem. And inevitably, I said, well, I don't think he has a problem. I mean, what do you mean he didn't have a problem? You know, he comes home, he, you know, he takes a shower, he leaves his underwear in the hall, and, you know, neighbors come in, there's all his underwear laying in the hall. I mean, he comes in, he sits in the living room in his underwear drinking a beer, and I mean, this is awful. He has a problem. I said, no, he doesn't have a problem. He's perfectly happy. You've got a problem, he doesn't have a problem. And they said, well, you need to explain to them why you do that. I said, well, how many times have you explained to them? Well, I don't know. How many times have you been married? I mean, how long have you been married? And they said, well, 30 years or 20 years. And I go, well, you don't think that they've heard this by now? Well, why won't they listen then? I said, because they don't care. That's the bottom line. They don't care. They don't want to. They don't see any advantage in it for them. So why would they want to do it? For parents... This might tell you something about your kids, too. Kids are sort of the same way. More often, we find ourselves saying to our kids, how many times have I told you? You know, my dad never once said that to me. My dad never, you know, nagged at me about anything. My dad only had one phrase that he would use after I'd done it, which was, well, that was dumb, wasn't it? I I got a speeding ticket right after I'd turned 18, and... um, a friend of mine said, oh, man, what, what are your parents going to do? And I said, they're not going to do anything. Said, they don't care if you got a speeding ticket? And I said, well, I don't know if they care. They might care, but they, aren't gonna, you know, they won't say much about it. And they said, I can't believe it, man. My parents would kill me if I got a speeding ticket. And I said, no. Okay. He said, man, you have the coolest parents in the world. And I said, not really. I said, well, how are you not going to tell them? I mean, you know, what are we going to do when it's due? Then we'll pay it. You mean they're not going to pay it? I said, are you kidding me? I said, no, they're not going to pay it. Well, won't they be mad because their insurance rates went up? I said, I'm not on their insurance. I mean, that wasn't happening either. They said, you mean you've got to take care of this all by yourself? And I said, yeah. And they said, and they still won't nag you about it? And I said, no. 